0: Okay, Um, so we're back in the Gospel of John, and uh, we've actually, for the last two Sundays, have talked about John the Baptist. Uh, Pastor Craig did a message on John, and he really did an overview and covered all of the scripture in the Gospel of John on John the Baptist, um, and talked about really his theme verse was John three thirty, which was he, he must become greater. I must become less. And so that, that was a good message. This last Sunday, I talked about the purpose of John the Baptist and related that to us. His purpose was to prepare the way for the Lord and to point the way to Jesus. And that's the theme. What I want to do Um, tonight is I want to fill in the details, okay? And certainly not all of the details, but um, I want to provide a verse-by-verse study on Wednesdays, and I want to be thematic on Sundays. So last Wednesday, we were frozen and iced over, so I took my camera upstairs and I did a 22-minute Bible study on just verse 18, and that finished the prologue officially. I say that, but I have left uh, several verses from the prologue, specifically um, three verses here that we're going to look at uh, that are in the prologue. uh, I left out. I didn't cover those verse by verse on Wednesdays because I wanted to cover those when we got to the passage about John the Baptist, um, which begins in verse 19. But I'm going to go back up and look at these uh, look at these couple of verses from the prologue. Um, so if you are uh, if you're looking at your copy of Scripture, I'm in the New American Standard Bible and I'm in John chapter 1. and so I want to go back up earlier in John, Uh, verses 6 and 7. John writes, A man came, one sent from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. And then I already covered verse eight, but verse eight clearly says he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. So again, we have this idea of John bearing witness to Jesus. Right. And then in verse 15, which is still in the prologue, um, our author of the fourth gospel says John testified about him. That is John the Baptist testified about Jesus. And called out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who is coming after me has proved to be my superior because he existed before me. So the prologue um, is interrupted twice, verses six and seven and verse 15, with these statements about John the Baptist. Um, First, in six and seven, he's recognized as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. So John is like one of us walking around in this dark world, and he is, the difference is he's neither blind nor is he selfish, because he recognizes and seeks to open people's eyes, the eyes of faith. Um, If you remember from 2 Corinthians, we were there not too long ago, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, and we walk by faith and not by sight. So faith would be the eyes that we're talking about here. And John is certainly walking by faith. And we need those eyes in order to see the light of the world. That's what Jesus calls himself in John 8, 12. As a matter of fact, we'll get there eventually. So the question I want to ask you is, are your eyes open to see the light and to receive the light of life? Remember, that's what Jesus is called, right? Um, In him was life, and that life was the light of, of the world. Right. Um, so we're going to need to keep our spiritual eyes open if we're going to see that light. So Jesus didn't just come along and start proclaiming that he was Messiah. John the Baptist pointed him out. This reminds me of a proverb, by the way, this is actually a pretty good proverb to remember. It says, let another praise you and not your own mouth. Hmm. That sounds like A good idea. A stranger and not your own lips. How much self-promotion do you see and hear going on today? Well, You know, applying that proverb in this situation, certainly John was no stranger to Jesus. In fact, we find in Luke 1 that they were related, but the principle is the same. Jesus didn't openly uh, proclaim that he was Messiah, that people would have expected him then, if he had done that, to become a political figure, to raise an army and to overthrow uh, the Roman Empire. They didn't understand, and many don't understand today, what Messiah came to do, which is to take away the sins of the world. And as I said on Sunday, that's the magnificent part of our author, John's treatment of John the Baptist, is that we see that John already knew that Jesus was going to be that kind of Messiah. I'm not sure how well he understood it, because we find in the synoptics that John was imprisoned, right? Uh, He made Herod Antipas angry because Herod married uh, Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and that wasn't permitted under Jewish law. And uh, John said, you can't do that. And so eventually um, Herodias Uh, hounded Herod enough, or Herod was angry enough that he arrested John. Well, while John was in prison, he was waiting for Jesus to break out and do what he was going to do, because apparently he expected there would be this cataclysmic overthrow as well, even though he saw Jesus and understood Jesus to be uh, the one who would take away the sins of the world. And he actually, we find in the synoptics, John actually sent his disciples to Jesus and said, are you the one we were to expect? Uh, Are you the one uh, that we had hoped for, or should we expect another? Now, Jesus even then didn't say, well, go and tell John. He knows I'm the Messiah. He already pointed to me. No, he said, go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind received their sight, right? The lame walk, and blessed is he that is not offended because of me. So what I'm saying is that Jesus wanted us and wanted John and wanted everyone in his day to look at what he did and said and figure it out. Even Jesus wasn't some huge self-promoter, okay? Um, The question is, do you offer this testimony to Jesus with your life, right? Are you promoting yourself or are you promoting Jesus with your life and your words today? um i want to do that certainly it's kind of expected of me as a minister so it is perhaps easier for me to do it than it is for some of you but nonetheless as i indicated on sunday that's what we're called to do we're called to be you know john the baptist type people um john the beloved may well have been in ephesus right the author of our gospel may well have been in ephesus when he was inspired to write this gospel in the mid nineties AD. Now, by that time, when the gospel of John is being written, all of the other gospels were likely uh, in circulation to one degree or another. And all of the other uh, disciples, the the original apostles were dead. They'd all been martyred by then. John was the youngest and he was the only one who died of natural causes. Um, So, In fact, John also in the mid-90s, sometime after this, was exiled on the island of Patmos, and that's where he received the revelation that we have as our book of Revelation. So he did uh, a good bit of writing in the 90s. In the book of Acts, however, we find, now what I said is that he wrote this gospel likely from Ephesus, and that's where John that's where his life ended. That's where he finally died in Ephesus. He was a very old man there. Okay. Um, the apostle Paul started a church in Ephesus, um, in, uh, in the mid fifties. In fact, the apostle Paul wrote first Corinthians from Ephesus, if you recall, Right. And so the Apostle Paul um, started the church in Ephesus on his third missionary journey sometime in the mid fifties. Well, the first people that he encountered there were former disciples of who? John the Baptist. Um their acceptance of John's message had prepared them to receive the gospel, and they were baptized in the name of Jesus. After, his pa- after the apostle Paul laid his hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and prophesying, and that gave evidence of their reception of the Holy Spirit. Um, from the Acts account, we see that John the Baptist had a lasting and far-reaching impact. Ephesus is hundreds of miles from the Judean wilderness where John the Baptist preached. However, I mean, it was in Asia Minor. You know, I could put a a map up here and show you how far away uh, it was. So, you know, there were a lot of people that were profoundly impacted by John the Baptist. However, it was not enough to follow John the Baptist. John pointed to Jesus. So we may call John, the forerunner, since he came to prepare people for the coming of Messiah. And uh, indeed, that's what we we find that he's referred to in uh, the announcement about his birth. Um, In the synoptics, John's message was focused on repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist can be understood as the last of the Old Testament prophets, even though he's in the New Testament. Jesus affirmed John's greatness, but he stated, that is, the Lord stated that even the most insignificant person in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. You can find that in Matthew eleven eleven. In our gospel, we see the Baptist testified that Messiah would be more than a human deliverer, affirming the superiority and preexistence of the one who brought grace and truth into the world. And, and I, again, I, I can't emphasize that enough. We don't find this awareness that John realized Jesus was pre existent, the pre existent Son of God. We don't find this awareness that John recognized that Jesus was the Lamb of God who took, takes away the sins of the world. We don't, we don't find that in the synoptics, but we do hear in John. And in this respect, we see that John was, in fact, a genuine prophet. He wasn't just telling people that they needed to return to the Lord, which is very prophetic, okay? but he was made aware in the spirit of certain things that were very, very profound, right? Jesus is the preexistent Son of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's like the passages that we encounter in the Old Testament that are messianic passages. I will tell you that it is unlikely that the prophets who received those messages from the Lord fully or perhaps even partially understood uh, the implications of them. For instance, Isaiah 53, which, you know, this is the the passage that has, by his stripes we're healed, right? Um, He was crushed for our iniquity. He was bruised for our transgression. uh, He was pierced through, right? And by his stripes we're healed. That's Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, I believe. Um, And... But it's unlikely that the the, the prophet who penned that, um, and this may not have been Isaiah himself. It may have been one of Isaiah's students uh, many years later. There was a school of prophets uh, that perhaps all uh, came under Isaiah's purview. And that book represents a longer time frame than uh, you would uh necessarily think that it did because of the the periods of history that it's referring to but nonetheless uh isaiah 53 was still likely written 500 or so years before jesus there was no there's no indication that there was any recognition among the jews in judaism that messiah would come to die for the sins of the people Um, But like Isaiah, we find John the Baptist had this inclination, had this uh, anointing, this unction from the spirit to write that um, Jesus was the son of God, not just uh, a Messiah, uh, a Messiah figure like one of the judges. See, this is the closest approximation to what the Jews were expecting out of Messiah um, if you go to the the book of Judges, all of those judges were deliverers, right? The people were being oppressed. They sinned and they were being oppressed. And so God would raise up a deliverer. This was a military leader, right? That would raise up an army and fight off the oppressors. Sometimes the oppressors were within, sometimes the oppressors were without, okay? Um, the Midianites, the Philistines and so forth. And, uh, the Lord would raise up these deliverers. So Messiah was like a, like an ultra deliverer that was going to usher um, Israel into a glorious golden age. Well, we do believe that Jesus will return and do exactly that, right? He will create a, a, you know, a golden age on earth where he will reign personally. But nobody understood that Jesus was going to be the, the Lamb of God, except apparently John the Baptist. So, now we're going to leave the prologue, wherein Jesus has been shown to be the eternal Word of God, the preexistent, only begotten Son, who lived on earth briefly as a flesh and blood human being. The rest of John's gospel focuses on the life and teachings of Jesus. It begins with John the Baptist, who prepared the way and pointed to Jesus as Christ. And now we're going to walk through the first week in the public ministry of Jesus, beginning in verse 19. Here I'm going to quote Something from William Barclay that I think will help us to understand what we're going to be looking at from chapter 1, verse 19, all the way until chapter 2, verse 11. William Barclay writes, No one is so careful of details of time as John is. Starting from this passage, that is 1, verse 19, down to 2.11, and going to 2.11, he tells Uh, He tells step by step the story of the first momentous week in the public life of Jesus. The events of the first day are in one nineteen through twenty-eight. The story of the second day is one twenty-nine through thirty-four. The third is unfolded in one thirty-five through thirty-nine. The three verses in one forty through forty-two tell the story of the fourth day, and the events of the fifth day are told in one forty-three through. Five, one. The sixth day is left blank, and the events of the seventh day of the week are told in two one through 11. All right? So that's a little overview for you. We're going to cover that first day today. At least that is my plan. We won't even get through all of the first day. We're going to get through part of it. Okay? So first we find, uh, you know, we, John, the the author John, okay, the author of our gospel, has referred to John the Baptist in the prologue. Now we're going to jump right into the story. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites to him from the, from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny. And this is what he confessed. I am not the Christ. And so they asked him, What are you then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, who are you? Tell us so that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one calling out in the wilderness. Make the way of the Lord straight, as Isaiah the prophet said. So it says priests and Levites were sent. This deputation is sent, presumably from the temple. Okay. Perhaps from the Sanhedrin. All right. Perhaps from a group group. Uh, that uh, were responsible for the temple, known as the Sadducees. Priests and Levites worked in the temple, or mainly so. Uh, We should remember that John the Baptist came from the tribe of Levi. Who was John's father? Do you remember your Christmas story? John's father's name was Zechariah, right? Where was John's father when he received this prophetic word from the angel that his wife, who was barren was going to have a son he was a priest John's father Zechariah was a priest and he was on duty in the temple he was doing his temple duty in the holy place of the temple when the angel Gabriel appeared to him and told him that he was going to have a son and of course do you remember your Christmas story Zechariah didn't believe him He said, well, how how is this going to happen? You know, how do I know? He said, I'm an old man, you know, and and my wife is beyond her years uh, of being able to bear a child, right? And she'd been infertile up to that point. So here's this priest and he doesn't believe and the angel Gabriel, I love this. He says, I'm, I'm Gabriel. I minister before the presence of God. And now, because you haven't believed what I've told you, you will not be able to speak. And so he was suddenly mute and couldn't say anything. And it is is as if the Lord was saying, if you can't listen to me, you don't have anything worthy of saying. So sure enough, Zechariah couldn't talk until John was born. And they asked Elizabeth, uh, what is his name going to be? And she said, John. And the relatives were like, you're the woman of the house and you don't know, you have no relatives named John. And so they turned to Zechariah and they said, tell us what his name is going to be. And he wrote on a tablet, his name is John. And then because he listened to the Lord, he now had something to say and the Lord opened his mouth. All that background. Zechariah was a priest. Therefore, John would have been a priest. Okay. Um, So, it would seem that John rebelled against his priestly privilege to preach out in the wilderness. Now, he was getting huge crowds were coming out there to listen to John and responded, and he was baptizing them. Well, the priests had an important role outside the temple. Um, Josephus, uh, who is a, uh, a Jewish historian who wrote during the same uh, first century time period, Josephus, who also praises their general piety, attests that priests remained the main local rulers of Palestine in this period. And that's from Craig Keener's uh, commentary. So perhaps they were sent by the religio-political group that controlled the temple, as I mentioned, the Sadducees. Uh, Keener says most scholars concur that most of the priestly aristocracy were in fact Sadducees. Well, if so, they would have been very concerned. That is this deputation that came to John, the priests and the Levites would have been very concerned. And those that sent them would have been concerned about the political ramifications of John's message and activity since the Sadducees were in close cooperation with the Roman empire. Um, We would see the Sadducees as being uh, religiously, or I should say, I guess, theologically conservative, because they only accepted the first five books of the Bible. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in spirits or demons or angels or any of that, right? They just believe you live your your life the way the Lord tells you to live your life, and then you die, okay? It's kind of depressing. (laughs) They're the ones in charge of the temple. So they were very concerned about this life and this world, And they wanted peace with the Roman Empire. So they would be considered um, politically liberal because they were in league with the Romans. They wanted to cooperate with the Romans. In fact, the Romans got to a place where they technically um, were influential over who the high priest was, right, in the temple. So these folks, when they hear John out there saying, repent, right, and make straight the way of the Lord, they're like, oh, wait a minute, what's going on here? because they don't want to get on the bad side of Rome. Um, Messiah was a revolutionary figure, and a political revolution would bring Rome down on their heads, and they would lose their place and their position of power. In fact, that was the concern that Caiaphas had, right? He said, well, you know, or, or those that were talking uh, in the Sanhedrin to Caiaphas about Jesus, this is later in, in uh, John, this is John eleven forty eight. 48, after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, they're all saying that the Romans are going to t- come and take away our place. And Caiaphas says, uh, Don't you know that it is expedient? for the nation for one man to die rather than the nation be destroyed well he didn't realize what he was doing but john realizes as john our our author of the gospel realizes that caiaphas was unwittingly prophesying that jesus would die for everybody he was just thinking it was expedient for him to for them to turn him over and have the romans execute him rather than the romans coming in and taking away their place all that full circle around this would be why the sanhedrin The Sadducees would be interested in finding out who John claimed to be. Well, once again, John clearly confirmed that he is not the Messiah. In Greek, the I, in I am not the Christ or Messiah, Christ is the the Greek word for it, is emphatic, which anticipates John's identification of Jesus. Listen to what William Barclay says. It was natural to ask John if he claimed to be the Messiah. John completely rejected that claim, but he rejected it with a certain hint. In the Greek, the word I is stressed by its position. It is as if John was saying, I am not the Messiah. But if you only knew, the Messiah is here. In Luke's gospel, we're informed that the people were uh, that the people were also wondering if John was the Messiah. You find that in Luke 3.15. In spite of the fact that the Baptist was beheaded in prison shortly after Jesus uh, began his public ministry, there were those who maintained that John, rather than Jesus, was Messiah. And this went on for many years. I'll go all the way back to what I said. Where was John the author of our gospel? Where was he located when he wrote our gospel? He was located in Ephesus. And when the Apostle Paul started the church in Ephesus, who did he first encounter? Disciples of John. So John, the beloved, the author of our gospel, is very concerned to make absolutely sure that people know, no, the Baptist was not the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, Listen to what Barclay writes. This is very interesting to me. I had forgotten this. He says, as late as A.D. 250, right? That's 220 years after Jesus' ministry. As late as A.D. 250, the Clementine recognitions tell us that there were some of John's disciples who preached about him as if their master was Messiah. John had been dead for a couple hundred years and they were still maintaining he was Messiah. So you can understand why the author of our gospel is very concerned to make absolutely sure that people knew that John did not claim that, okay? So what is John's role? How does he fit into the prophecies of the Old Testament? After the priestly deputation asked if John was Messiah, they focused on two other figures from Old Testament prophecy, Elijah and the prophet. Now, what do you know about The prophet Elijah. Something very, very important about how the prophet Elijah left the earth. He didn't die. die, Right? So, we find in Malachi, who's the last authentic writing prophet. That's the last book you'll find in your Old Testament. And the last couple of verses of Malachi, you'll find that Malachi prophesied that Elijah would return or at least an elijah-like figure the jews believe that elijah the prophet who ascended into heaven before he died that's in first kings chapter 2 by the way would return to earth to prepare the way for the coming of messiah listen to what barclay writes about this it was even believed that Elijah would anoint the Messiah to his kingly office as all kings were anointed and he would raise the dead to share the news of the kingdom. So there was a very, very powerful expectation that Messiah was coming and that Elijah would return from heaven would, and that would uh, precede the Messiah's coming. Down to our day. I don't know if you know this or not. Have you ever... Observed a Jewish Passover service or ceremony. There are uh, Messianic congregations that will uh, will sponsor these um, and uh, point. a Messianic meaning th- it is a group of Jews and converts who have accepted Jesus as their Messiah. Right? Um, in these in the Passover ceremony, uh, it's called a seder, an empty seat and or an extra cup of wine is left at the table for Elijah. That's today. That is still done to our day. And they also go to the door. They open the door and they invite Elijah to join their observance. All of this is ultimately based upon uh, the prophecy that I mentioned made by Malachi. And they're, they're the final verses of the Old Testament written 400 years before John the Baptist. And here are those verses. This is Malachi 4. Verses five and six, behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and strike the land with complete destruction. Well, it is obvious that John the Baptist was fulfilling this very prophecy. There are even parallels between Elijah and John. Both stayed in the wilderness for a time. Both wore a garment, uh, garment made of hair and a leather belt. Uh, he sought to turn the people back to Yahweh. He spoke out against the king. Both of these things are things that Elijah did as well. However, John was not literally Elijah, and that's why he denied it when they asked him, are you Elijah? They thought Elijah was literally going to come back down out of heaven. Um, so, because he was not literally Elijah doesn't mean he didn't uh, fulfill Malachi's prophecy because Malachi's prophecy doesn't mean Elijah will actually literally return to earth himself, but that the prophet the Lord will send will be like Elijah walking in the spirit and power of that first great prophet in Israel. This was affirmed in the prophecy of John's birth given by the angel Gabriel to his father, Zechariah. So let's go back to the story of Zechariah in the temple Right? His wife is infertile. She's too old to have a baby now, Elizabeth. The angel Gabriel appears to him. And this is part of the prophecy that the angel Gabriel gave to Zechariah. And to his credit, Zechariah obviously remembered it and passed it along. And this is he, this is the prophecy about John. And it is he who will go as forerunner before him, that is Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah. There it is. So John will go as a forerunner of Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. That's what we just read in Malachi. And the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's what John was created to do, right? And Jesus confirmed this as well. Uh, listen to this from Mark, uh, Mark's gospel, Mark 9, 11 through 13. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. The one who has ears to hear, let him hear. So no, he was not literally Elijah the prophet. He came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, right? Now we need to learn to read the scripture. So um, Jesus also gives hints later, and we won't get into this in depth right now, that there will still come, elijah okay and that uh this idea of elijah preparing the way of the lord is still valid well is jesus coming back your answer should be yes jesus is in fact coming back so perhaps there will be another prophet or other prophets who will arise before the second coming of christ who will also walk in the spirit and power of elijah friends that's my prayer for this church that we may walk in the spirit and power of Elijah, that we will turn our hearts back to the Lord and that we will turn other people back to the Lord to prepare for the return of Jesus. Now, here's an interesting uh, idea. It may be that the two witnesses revealed to the apostle John in Revelation are the fulfillment of that hope at the end times. You can read about the two witnesses in Revelation eleven three 3 through 13. Well, we really need a, an Elijah or a John the Baptist today who preaches with Holy Spirit power and effectively calls people to repent and prepare the way of the Lord. So the next thing they asked, okay, you're not Elijah. Are you the prophet? So what are they, what are they talking about there? Um, well, the Lord promised through Moses that there would arise another prophet like Moses. Listen to what Moses said. And what the Lord said through Moses, this is in Deuteronomy 8, 15, and then verse 18. The Lord, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking from among you, from your countrymen to him, you shall listen. And then verse 18, I will raise up for them. Now the, the Lord is promising. I will raise up for them a prophet from among their countrymen like you. He's talking to Moses and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them everything that I command him. Well, John denied being that prophet. He did not claim to be on par with Moses any more than he claimed to be on par with Jesus. In fact, the prophet that Moses spoke of is who? It's Jesus. All right? Check Acts 322 and 737. There it is clearly indicated that Jesus was in fact that prophet that Moses had spoken of. Remember Our gospel has already stated that the law came through Moses, but what came through Jesus? Grace and truth came through Jesus. Jesus is prophet. He is priest. He is king. Jesus supersedes Moses and fulfills God's law. Listen to what Hebrews 3.3 says about that idea. For he, that is Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. Further, Jesus fulfilled the law. Do not presume that I came to abolish the law and the prophets, Jesus said. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Then John says what he is, the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Jesus is the word and John was the voice. John defines himself with the message that the Lord called him to pre- preach, which, as I said Sunday, is prepare the way of the Lord. He did what Jesus did: fulfill God's call and let people make up their minds. All right, both John and Jesus were wussywig. You know what is wussywig? What you see is what you get. Right? Well, who are you? What you see is what you get. He wants you to figure it out. Okay. They didn't need any self-promotion. Also notice with each question that they asked him, are you the Messiah? No, I am not. Right. Uh, let's go. Let's, let's go back up to the, to the text real quick here. All right. Um, I am not the Christ. There's his answer. And then they said, what are you then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, no, his answers get increasingly short and terse. It's like he's getting impatient with them, right? Um, Hang on, let me find my my way in my notes here again. Each question that the religious leaders ask him, uh, John gave increasingly shorter answers. He didn't want to be the focus, In the fourth gospel, the Baptist is focused most on identifying Jesus as the son of God. The ministry to which John was called was to live out and proclaim the message found in Isaiah, the prophet, which here in part reads, and this is Isaiah 43 through five. Now I read this Sunday morning, but I'll read it again. The voice of one calling out clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and let the uneven ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Well, this speaks of what a a town or a city would do if they were told that the king was coming to visit they didn't have these wonderful roads that we have although not all of our roads are wonderful i've been driving around lately and encountering quite a few potholes and so forth but nonetheless you're going to go through and you're going to fix all the roads and you're going to make way for the king to come and that's what john was doing and that's the prophecy here from birth john was called to come apart from the world he would be a lifelong Nazarite. That's what we hear also. Uh, part of the prophecy that Gabriel gave was that uh, no wine would ever touch his lips. Not the, not, no fruit of the vine, no, no grape would ever touch his lips. It doesn't say anything further about the Nazarite vow, but it is likely that that's what it was, that John was a lifelong Nazarite. Which means not only did he wear a garment of hair, if he was indeed a lifelong Nazarite, he never cut his hair. So if you saw the Gospel of John movie clip that I showed on Sunday morning, that was a really rough looking dude, wasn't it? Like out there in the wilderness, his hair was all ratted and whatever. But I'm guaranteeing you, if John was who, you know, this is indicating he is, he might have looked more scary than that. All right. As an adult, John would stay in the wilderness apart from the contamination of society and culture. Uh, Listen to this from Mark 1 4 through 6 about John the Baptist John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins John's was John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and his diet was locusts and wild honey yum all right well I, I was just thinking about this. It's kind of a strange way to gain an audience, right? Go out in the wilderness, stand next to the Jordan River and start preaching. But see, the thing is, if the Lord anoints you, if he, if he calls you to do something and he anoints you to do something, I mean, maybe I'm just failing here, you know, and not doing enough self-promotion. But I just think that the Holy Spirit is going to draw people. You put the message out there. You broadcast the message and the people will come, all right? You build it and they will come sort of, uh, sort of thing. Um, so it is a strange way to gain an audience, at least as we understand it. John the Baptist didn't go into cities and preach in the marketplace. He didn't plan and publicize meetings in some large amphitheater. He didn't go to the crowds of people in the temple. He preached in the wilderness, always near the Jordan River where he could baptize those who, rece- who received the message. And people went out to him. God called John to preach and baptize. God called receptive people to come to John. Will you join me in praying that God will call receptive people to come to this church? Will you join me in praying that God will call receptive people to respond to the gospel that is being put out there by many other churches like ours today? Listen to what the scripture says. Uh, this is from Romans ten fourteen through 17. How then are they to call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? But how are they to preach unless they are sent? See, John didn't just didn't go out there and try to build a brand. Okay. He was sent just as it is written. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, uh, good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So it's not a matter of stirring up an emotional response and getting more and more people to come. It's a matter of preaching the word and the Holy Spirit drawing people to come. So then we have the testimony of the Pharisees. This is, probably another part of this deputation that had been sent out to John. Um, I mean, there's an outside possibility it could have been another group that came. But the fact that there were Pharisees in this group is a good indicator that they were being sent from the Sanhedrin, many of whom were Pharisees, not all of them, certainly. Listen to this from John 1, 24 through 28. And the messenger and the messengers had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing? So it's evident to me that they're standing there in the same deputation. They hear that he's not claiming to be Messiah. He is not claiming to be Elijah. He is not claiming to be the prophet. So they said, why are you baptizing? If you're not the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, John answered them saying, I baptize with water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, of whom I am not worthy even to untie the strap of his sandal. Now, in the synoptics, together in that phrase, he says, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and... Uh, In, I believe, Matthew, it says, and with the Holy Spirit and fire, maybe Luke as well, okay? But John puts the fact that Jesus will baptize in the Holy Spirit a little further down in verse uh, 33 or 34. So, who were the Pharisees? I've got four minutes left, five minutes left, so hang with me. The Pharisees were an important sect of Judaism, writes the Bible knowledge commentary. They numbered about 6,000 and were most influential. They held a strict interpretation of the law and embraced many oral traditions. And then this from Erdman's Bible dictionary, the Pharisees were noted most for their exact observance of the Jewish religion, their accurate exposition of the law, their handing down of extra biblical customs and traditions, their moderate position with regard to the interplay of fate and free will, Will, and their belief in the, coming resurrection, uh, in the coming resurrection and in angels. That was something I didn't mention earlier. The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. You could have surmised that because I told you they didn't believe in an afterlife. Well, as separatists and sticklers about keeping the law and following the traditions of the elders, the Pharisees would have been interested in John the Baptist. In fact, Matthew's Gospel tells us that some of them came to be baptized, but he rebuked them. He said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. There were some Sadducees that came to be baptized as well, Matthew tells us. So, why are you baptizing? John doesn't answer their question. Uh, instead, he downplays his own ministry in favor of the one who was to come. Essentially, he's saying, My baptism is nothing compared to the spirit baptism the Son of God will perform. And this anticipates 133 where John the Baptist states that Jesus will baptize in the spirit. Or perhaps another way of looking at what John is saying here is my baptism is preliminary and points to Christ's greater baptism in the Holy Spirit. Well, John is the forerunner. Jesus comes after him. John defers to Jesus to such a degree that he sees himself as unworthy even to be his servant. Right now, I did mention this to, uh, and spent some time on it on Sunday, talking about how the servant would wash people's feet and take the sandal off. And John's saying, I'm not even worthy of doing that for the Christ. So what is John's baptism? How is it performed? How would the people coming to him have understood it? Now, I I covered this a bit on Sunday as well. Um, as I said, the word baptizo in, in Greek means to dip, dip, dunk, or immerse. So it is likely that that's exactly what John was doing. The people would have understood it as a, a, a washing ritual. Um, there were many ceremonial washing rituals in Judaism at this time. So it is probable that they would have seen baptism uh, by John as symbolic of the washing away of sins, which they had confessed and repented of. However, John did not say... That, that the water washed away sins. But as we find in John 1 29, the Lamb of God will take away the sins of the world. John's baptism is similar, but not identical with the baptism Jesus commands. In the book of Acts, as we mentioned earlier, Paul discovered some of John's disciples in Ephesus, and then he baptizes them in the name of Jesus. Here's the account. This is Acts 19, three through five. I referred to it earlier. Now I'll quote it. And he said to them, that is, the Apostle Paul said to these disciples of John, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus means to be identified with Jesus. Well, both baptisms involve immersion in water, and both are the result of repentance. However, what we would call Christian baptism today has deeper symbolism. John's baptism pointed to Jesus. Jesus' baptism points to what he does in your life. Listen to Romans 6, 3 through 6. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For we have... If we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be united in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Rendered powerless is what the Greek word means, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. And then this in Second Corinthians five seventeen, again by the Apostle Paul. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All right. I think all of you have seen me baptized in here, right? I follow the same pattern as the Baptist church where I got baptized. It's the same pattern that a lot of churches follow, okay? After ascertaining and getting the person to publicly confess that they have confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord, then I raise my right hand like it's a a testimony or an oath, okay? And I say, then in accordance with your confession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord, I will baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Then I put my hand down here. They put their hands in it. I put my left hand on their back and I put them all the way under the water and raise them all the way up out of the water. As I put them under the water, I say, buried with Christ in baptism. As I raise them up, I say, raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. This points to what Jesus has done in you if you have been if, if you've received his message if you've received the gospel if you believed in him he has put your old life to death he has raised a new you to walk this is why we don't sprinkle this is why we don't pour this is why we put you all the way under the water because it's a watery grave so John's baptism pointed to the coming of Jesus baptism in the name of Jesus or as we perform it according to his command in Matthew 28 18 through 20 uh, we, we, that's why we say in the name of the father, the son and the Holy spirit, and not just in the name of Jesus, because that's the way he commanded it. Okay. All right. Next week we'll talk about, uh, it says he was baptizing in Bethany beyond the Jordan. And then we'll look at, uh, when he saw Jesus coming to him. So thank you for joining us tonight. Those of you uh, that joined us online, thank you for, uh, for joining us and coming in.